are, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. And we see this gap between what we think should be and how the world actually is. All along, we just know that there must be something more, something better. What if there is more? What if we can know God? What if we can experience freedom? What if we can discover purpose? What if we truly make a difference in this world? What's up, 1130? How you guys doing today? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us. Anybody enjoying some cold weather here in South Florida? It's like straight up winter. Women are walking in with boots with the fur. I mean, you know, it's like scarves are on. I mean, it's like we, we've never seen anything below 70 degrees. We're just freaking out right now. And uh, so it's, it's amazing. Hey, before we kind of dive into today, uh, let me just say this. Uh, next weekend, in fact, what doesn't everybody say? Can, can everybody say next weekend? next weekend? Okay, that wasn't everybody. Let's try that again. Everybody means like if you're alive and breathing, that means you. Okay, I'm just going to help you define what everybody means. So everybody say next weekend. Next weekend is one of those weekends you're not going to want to miss. Like, we, we have some big things we're going we're gonna to tell you next weekend, show you, do all kinds of stuff. And so, like, next weekend is a weekend you don't want to miss. In fact, I've already told our tech team, like, we're not going to show it online. So if you're not here, you're going to experience FOMO. You're going to experience fear of missing out. And uh, you don't want to miss out on what God is, is doing in our church. And so I want to encourage you to come back next weekend. you got seven days to change your plans right now. So go ahead and do it. You can rebook those airline tickets, you can, whatever it may be. Whatever, it's that good. I'm telling you, it's that good. So uh, just go ahead and do that. But we're, I, I'm pumped. We've been in this series called Four Cups over the last couple of weeks, and we've been talking about God's promises. And uh, I think that this is an important series because for so many of us, we have not realized that God has made a lot of promises for our lives. God has a lot of things for each and every one of us that are just kind of sitting there dormant in life. He's waiting for us to pick up and walk out and, and live out in life. And he, he really wants us to experience them. And, and so he's made some incredible, incredible promises all throughout Scripture. And we have defined what a promise is, just in case you didn't know. A promise is an offer with a guaranteed result. In other words, God gives some offers to us. Hey, I've offered you salvation. I've offered you eternity with me. And he's guaranteed that there is a result if you accept, if you partake, if you are, are, are walking out those offers in your life, that you will have those things. The problem is, is we live in a day and an age where so many people, organizations, uh, companies have made promises and they've broken those promises. They've not come through on the things that they've said that a lot of times we relate God to people, but, but God is not like people. God is completely different than people. People break promises. People say things that they intend to do. And even with the best of intentions, they still mess it up. That's why in Numbers chapter 23, it says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he doesn't change his mind. Like he doesn't have this, this thing going on where it's like, oh, I, I didn't really mean to say that. Let me take that back. There's like no take backs with God. Like once he said it, like it's out there. And he actually says that all of his promises are yes and amen. In other words, so be it in our lives. So God's promises should be stirring up dreams inside of every single one of us 
that can lead us to the fulfilling life that he has planned for you. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but God has got an incredible plan for your life. And he, he wants to stir up some dreams and some, some things that are de- deep within you so that you can walk those things out. It's, it's part of the reason why a lot of people are walking through life unfulfilled because they've been looking for fulfillment through success and all these things, and they've never discovered the purpose of why they're here on earth. And as long as you've never discovered your purpose, you'll be searching for significance in a lot of things. And God says, hey, listen, I've got significance for you. I've got a purpose for you, and I want to help you discover it. And that's actually what we're going to be talking about today. And this series, Four Cups, has been based on uh, four promises that God has given the children of Israel on their way out of the promised land or out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. And these four core promises are woven all throughout scripture. They're, they're seen in multiple places. It is the very heart of God. In fact, I think that at his, the core of who he is, he wants to see us live out these four promises in our life. And they're actually four promises that Jewish people still celebrate today. They're still believing and trusting God for these four things. It's called, they actually celebrate it in a, in a celebration called the Passover feast, where they will uh, have a meal, light some candles, and they'll pour four cups of wine as they read this passage of scripture out of Exodus chapter 6. And as they read the four I wills of God, which are his four promises, they will drink a cup of wine, hence the name four cups. So it says this in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. It says, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. He says, I will free you from your oppression. That's promise number one. I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. That's promise number two. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. That's promise number three. And I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God, which is promise number four. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this promise. The first promise was, is I will free you from your oppression. In other words, he says, I have a cup here and it's called the cup of sanctification. It's all about salvation. There are some things in our life called sin that separates us from God. And God says, hey, I want to free you from that and restore relationship with you, with you and me so that we can be in right relationship again. Then he says, I will, I will rescue you from your slavery. In other words, there are some things that are holding us in bondage today that God wants to deliver us from. And we talked about this last week, that this is all about freedom here on earth. So God gives us salvation for eternity. And then he says, hey, while you're here on this earth, I don't want you to live with a slave mentality or a slave identity. I want you to realize that I have set you free. So I want you to walk around free. And then then he says, I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. And I was thinking about this, like, I will redeem you. Like, how could I explain that to you so that you could really fully, truly grasp what God is trying to say? And I thought back to myself in, in my life, and I thought back to when I was 16 years old, I was madly infatuated with a girl named Shayla Benham. Uh, like, she, she was like, she was the apple of my eye. She could do no wrong. She was beautiful. She was hot. She was all that in a bag of chips with the guacamole dip. I mean, she had it going on. And uh, at 16 years old, uh, I asked her to be my girlfriend, and she said yes. And I was like, yes, I, I just, I, like, I hit the lottery, I hit the jackpot, I had it, I, I thought it was, it, it, was, it was a great day for me. And I remember I took her on a date, 
uh, that day we went to uh, um, uh, some dinner and a movie, and we went to go see this movie that I think has the best story or the best definition of redemption in it. So why don't you take a look at the screens? I'm only human, Harry. Anybody can make a mistake. Come on. Stop being a baby. So we backtracked a tad. A tad? A tad, Lloyd? You drove almost a sixth of the way across the country in the wrong direction. Now we don't have enough money to get to Aspen. We don't have enough money to get home. We don't have enough money to eat. We don't have enough money to sleep. Well, it's not going to do us any good to sit here whining about it. We're in a hole. We're just going to have to dig ourselves out. Okay, all right, you're right. You're absolutely right, Wood. Where are you going? Home. I'm walking home. Oh, well, pardon me, Mr. Perfect. I guess I forgot that you never, ever make a mistake. Got room for one more if you still want to go to Aspen. Where did you find that? Some kid back in town. Traded the van for it, straight up. I can get 70 miles to the gallon on this hog. You know, Lloyd, just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> Do something like that and totally redeem yourself. Well, the rest of that story is, is the next day Shayla dumps me. It was a bad day. My mom's sitting on the front row. She, she saw the tears. And uh, it's a terrible thing. I've, I've been dealing with that through counseling over the years and still haven't recovered from it. But then, like, three years later, Shayla totally redeemed herself by <laughs> starting. She actually pursued me. And, uh, and uh, you know, I think she did all right. So, But this idea of, of God wants to redeem us. In other words, he wants to give us some purpose. He wants to repurpose us. For something in life. He wants to restore some things. You know, God didn't just save us and then deliver us. He actually wants us to live with some intentionality in life. I actually looked up the definition of redeem through uh, Webster's Dictionary. And it, it, it says to buy back. In other words, God wants to repurchase you. To repair. In other words, God wants to restore some things in your life. It says another definition is to change for the better. In other words, 
He wants to reform some things. And so I, I, I put it like this. Uh, you have been repurchased to be repurposed. That's God's intent for your life is that God has repurchased you to repurpose you in life. Simply put, is, is God never intended for the children of Israel to be a people that were just going to be in mud pits making bricks for Pharaoh. Like that was not the intention for their life. God actually looked down and said, hey, listen, I've got something more for your life. I've got something that's so much greater than that. I've, I've repurchased you. I've sent my son Jesus to die on a cross so that you could have something that's different than the life you currently have. And I want to reach down in the middle of where you are. I want to take you out. I want to give you some purpose, some intention. I've actually got a promised land for you to live out in your life. The problem for so many of us is we think that, man, my intention of my life is, is I'm going to be born. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go to middle school. I'm going to go to high school. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to find a wife. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get in a, a, a job, and I'm going to work that until I retire. And we just get in a rut, and then we die. And God's saying, listen, listen, listen. There's so much more than you just getting saved and getting delivered. Don't stop there. I've got more for your life. Reminds me of a story that I read this week about a guy named Theodore Geisel. Uh, Theodore had this dream of, of becoming a, a writer for children, and he wrote his first book, and he submitted it to a publisher. It got rejected. He submitted it to another publisher. It got rejected. 27 times Theodore submitted this proposal to publishers for a children's book, and he got rejected. And on the 27th time, he was he was so dejected that he was walking home, had the book underneath his arm with the intention of going home and burning it in the incinerator in his apartment. And as he's walking down Madison Avenue, he runs into an old Dartmouth buddy of his from college named Mike McClintock. And they start talking. They're talking outside of uh, this, this place on Madison Avenue. And, and Mike actually asks him, he says, hey, what's underneath your arm, Theodore? And he says, oh, it's a, it's a manuscript for a children's book that I, that I wrote that I'm going to go home and burn. And what, what Theodore didn't know is that that day, Mike had just been hired at Vanguard Press in the children's department for their books. And he said, hey, let, let me see that manuscript. He looked at it and he said, hey, why don't you come inside? They were actually right outside the Vanguard Press building. He walked inside, started reading the book and said, hey, this is pretty good. Within 30 minutes, they had signed a contract for them to publish. I think I saw it on Mulberry Street, which launched the literary career of Theodore, Dr. Seuss Geisel. He actually writes a letter to Mike later in life and he said, if I'd been going down the other side of Madison Avenue, I'd be in the dry cleaning business today. And it got me thinking, like, how many of us have settled for a life in the dry cleaning business, which if you're in the dry cleaning business, there's nothing wrong with that. Had somebody walk out and go, I'm, I'm working a dry cleaner. I was like, <laughs> But we've settled for the dry cleaning business when we are called to write books. But we got rejected and dejected and beat up in life. And we've just settled for a life less than what God intended for us. And I think one of the reasons we do that is because we have an enemy that's out there that is trying with all of his ability to get us off course. See, our enemy, see what he does, Satan diverts 
He distracts us and diverts us, get our attention somewhere else. But what we have to understand is we serve a God that is a God of redemption. God always redeems. And what if, if the enemy is trying to get you off course, what if today, maybe today is your Madison Avenue moment with God, where God's, where all of a sudden you start to realize that God sees some greater potential in you than you see in yourself, that he hasn't called you to just go in a dry cleaning business. He's actually called you to write books that will actually change the trajectory of people's lives. And, and, said, and God says in Exodus, is chapter 6, verse 6. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. And I was thinking about that. Like, why, why did God say, I'll redeem you with a powerful arm? Like, what is the significance of that? Until you start thinking about the children of Israel. They are literally in pits. Mud pits down in there making bricks for Pharaoh. Now, if you're in the middle of a pit, the only way for you to get out is if there's somebody stronger up top that will reach down and grab you. The only way for you to get out of the middle of your mess is for somebody that is stronger than you to lift you out of that situation. And I believe that God is saying to you today, listen, I know you've gotten to a rut, you've gotten to a mess, you've gotten to a pit in your life, but I am so strong that I can reach down with my powerful right arm and I can begin to lift you out of there. My arm is greater than your struggle. My strength is greater than your struggle. And all you need to do is trust that I am a God that will redeem you out of the pits that you find yourself in your life. In fact, in Psalms 18.35, it says, you stoop down, saying God stoops down to what? To make you great. He goes, man, I'll come right down in the middle of the mess that you find yourself in and I'll stoop down and I'll use my arm and I'll start to lift you up out of that pit. Because I'm a God of redemption. No matter how low you find yourself, there is no pit too great. There is no struggle too strong. There is no obstacle that is too great that I can't go right down the middle of and redeem you from. He says, man, I will redeem you with a powerful arm. He also says, with great acts of judgment. Because here's the thing, if the enemy can't keep you from deliverance, if he can't keep you from deliverance, then he'll try to divert you from the redemption that God has for you. He's going to try to distract you from that moment. He's, 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 going to, he's going to bring all kinds of things in your life. It reminds me of this, this guy that broke into a house. This story I read, he broke into a house, and he's going to rob this place. And as he's walking around the house looking for things to take, he hears a voice say, Jesus is watching you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm a burglar and, so, and all of a sudden a voice comes out, and says, Jesus is watching me, it's going to freak me out. And, and he's looking around, he's like, where would that come from? And he, he hears it again, Jesus is watching you. And he finally, he looks over in the corner with his flashlight, and he sees a parrot cage. And, he, and then as, he see, as the light gets on the parrot cage, the, the parrot goes, Jesus is watching you. And he walks over to the parrot, and he goes, what's your name? And the parrot goes, Clarence. He's like, that's a dumb name for a parrot. Who in the world would name their parrot Clarence? And the parrot squawks, squawks back, the same dumb guy that named the pit bull Jesus. Some of you all have to go back and watch that video. It's funnier in the last service than it was in this one. Why? Because the enemy's goal was to distract you from whatever the goal is. That's what he's trying to do all the time. He's trying to distract us, to get, off, to get us off course. Is 
Because that diversion is the devil's deception of your life. He's trying to get you so focused on what's happening to you that you, you, you don't see what God has for you. That's why we, when we read things like 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, we'll start to realize we're hard-pressed on every side. Like, yeah, there's, there's things that are coming at us from every direction in life, but that doesn't mean we're crushed. Unless we get focused on that, then we can't see that we're not crushed. It says we may be perplexed, like there might be a lot of questions, and a lot of times it's why, 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 but that doesn't mean we're in despair. Like we haven't, we haven't lost our way. We may be persecuted. There may be arrows coming at us from all different directions. But God has not abandoned us in that situation. We might have gotten knocked down and struck down, but we're still alive. We're not destroyed. Like we've got to recognize that. And if the enemy can't keep you out of heaven, what he's going to do in life is he's going to try to keep you ineffective while you're here on this earth. He'll go like, that's fine, you can get saved and, and you can become free, but I don't want you to ever discover your purpose. And the way I'm going to keep you from that is I'm going to tell you you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough. Like what you've done in the past is too bad. Nobody would ever love you or accept you. There's no way you could accomplish that. And what he does is he heaps loads of condemnation on our life. Because if he can keep us condemned, then he knows that we'll never step out in faith and trust God. See, condemnation, what it says to us is, is you're a mess and there's no way out. But see, what the enemy forgot about is God gave us this thing called grace that says, man, you're a mess, but I've created a way out. Because you've been repurchased for a purpose. And the repurchased price was Jesus Christ who died on the cross and became a savior so that you could have a way out in life. And God has given us all a way out of our pits that we're in. He's given us a way out of the purposelessness of life. And he's saying, hey, I've got something for you. And what God actually says is in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. Which some of us need to hear today because you've been told for so long that you're worthless, that you're a loser, that you'll never amount to anything. Shoot, it's not even that bad. You've just been told you're average, that you're middle management, that you're okay, that you're good. And God goes, no, 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 you're not, you're not good. You're a masterpiece. You're unique. You're special. You're one of a kind. In fact, you're a priceless. See, so many times we're getting our identity from creation rather than creator. And we end up listening to so many voices that are full of crap. Listen, everybody's got an opinion. Oh, I'm just going to do it. And opinions are like buttholes. Everybody's got one and they all stink. The only opinion that matters is God's opinion of you. Some of you needed that today. That's for somebody out there. Anything's possible at church. Just saying. You're a masterpiece. You are. Don't buy into other people's laws about you. You are who the creator says you are. The creator determines worth and value, not the creation. It's time for some of us to realize that we are God's masterpiece 
And the reason we're his masterpiece is because he's created us anew in Christ. We're, we're spotless. We're blameless because of Christ. So we can do the good things that he has always planned for us to do, which means that he's got a plan for your life. And he has repurchased you to repurpose you in life. And so you need to understand your design determines your destiny, not what people say about you. The design that God put inside of you determines your destiny. So how do we begin to drink from this cup, this cup of redemption in life? First of all, you have to understand that you have a gift. You have spiritual gifts. In fact, I want to do something here because I, I think it's necessary for us to declare some things over our lives. And here's what I want you to say. I want you to say, I am gifted on the count of three. One, two, three. Okay, that wasn't everybody. I want everybody to say that. One, two, three. I am gifted. Now, for some of you, that's the first time you've ever said that about yourself. And the reason I wanted you to say that is because you needed to declare something that is true over your life. And that isn't something that I'm just saying. That's actually something that God says about you. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says, We have different gifts according to the grace of given us. That word grace is the, 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 the Greek word charis. It means divine enablement. God has given us some divine enablement that is unique to us, that makes us special, that makes us gifted. Like God has gifted you divinely with some special things that are unique to you. It's why you do some things and people look at it and go, how in the world do you do that? And you're like, I don't know, I just do it. Why? Because you're gifted in that. God has uniquely created you that way to be able to do that. Like, like my mom is sitting on the front row. If you notice, I wear black all the time. Why? Because I can't put colors together very well. Even my blacks don't match. Just stating the obvious, okay? Everybody's been thinking it if you're a fashion person. Uh, but my mom can look at things, and she sees everything in color and how they go together. And I'm like, I don't know how you do that. And she's like, I don't know. I just do it. Why? Because that's her gift. And so what do we need? We need to pursue the gifts that God has put in us. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts that God has put within you. So how, how, what does that practically look like for us? If you're taking notes today, number one, you got to discover your gift. you got to discover the unique gift that God has given you. How? The best way to discover that is in your design. If God created you to do some things, then the design, how he made you, will reveal your destiny, what he wants you to do. That's why Psalms 139 says, You made all the delicate and inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Some of you are more complex than others. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. See, design reveals destiny. All you have to do is look at your personality. You begin to look at your gifts. You begin to look at your passions. You begin to look at your loves. You begin to look at your dreams that are all within you. And God made you that way. God put those things within you. That's unique to you. Like, he wants you to realize that that is a unique design. Once we have been sanctified and we've experienced salvation and we, we experience uh, uh, redemption, and, and, and or, or, or not redemption, I'm sorry, Red 
discover and once we become delivered, then when we discover that redemptive calling, what God wants us to do, then we can embrace the design. The problem is, is in our day and age, what we do is we want to be a copy rather than being unique. So what we do in life is we look around and go, well, I like what they have. I want to be like them. And so we act like them and we talk like them and we walk like them and we try to be like them rather than embracing the unique design that we are. And we wonder why we're not being fulfilled in life and why we've never discovered our gifts because we're so busy coveting what somebody else has that we never discovered how God created us. Listen, every week people walk in here and make fun of my skinny jeans. I don't care. I'm unique. I like skinny jeans. I embrace them. You keep wearing your baggy jeans. You do you. I'll do me. The world doesn't need another me. So you keep wearing baggy jeans. The world needs more of you. I'm for real. Like everybody's walking around going, I wish I was like that. No. Stop wishing you were like somebody else and start wishing that you would embrace the design that God created you to be. The world needs a unique you, not another me. Man, my mom is shouting me down. Come on, mom. Give me a high five right there. She's embracing her unique you. So how do you discover that gift? The secret is to get close to the one who designed you. You want to you you know your gift? You want to discover that gift? Get close to the one who created you. That's why Ephesians chapter 1 says this. It is in Christ. Not in Dr. Phil. Not in Oprah. Not in Vogue magazine. Not in that college course, not in that counselor's office, not in that friend's opinion, not in that rejection from that spouse. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in Christ and Christ alone. It's not in anything else that we're going to discover our design. We're going to discover our design through the designer of life. It says, long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he's had his eye on us. He's been looking at you. He's been thinking about you. He's been dreaming about you. Like you're the apple of his eye. It said, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. It's about your relationship with God. That's why I believe you're in a great place because every week what we're going to do here at Coastal is we're going to point you to Jesus. We're not going to point you to other things. We're going to point you to Jesus. Man, get as close to Jesus as you possibly can. Get to know the creator, and all of a sudden you'll start to understand the redemptive purpose that he has for you. You discover your gift by getting to know the one who put the gift inside of you. It's the best way possible. And so we've got to discover our gift. Number two, we've got to develop our gift. We've got to develop the gifts that are inside of us. And we believe that it's our job as a church to help you develop your gift. We have built our church around the gifts of people. 
We've, we've built it around people and how God has gifted them and how he's enabled them and what he's done to them. Again, it's that word grace. God has put a divine enablement inside of every single one of you that we want to see you use and develop in your life. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and 11 and 12, it says, But to each one of us, grace, that divine enablement, has been given as Christ apportioned it. So don't be jealous of somebody else's gift. It's not their fault they have more of that. You can blame that on Jesus. Like you want more, develop more. But God has given each of us a unique amount of giftings. And that's on you to be a good steward of that. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. See, our job as the staff here is to equip you to develop your gifts so you can make a difference in other people's lives. It's one of the reasons why we talk to you almost every week about next steps. It takes you through a process of discovering how God created you so you can begin the discipleship journey. And discipleship isn't acquiring more information. It's you discovering your unique calling and giftings that God has put in you, and then you start walking that out. That's discipleship. It's a process that isn't like a four-step process. It's a process that you're going to walk through for the rest of your life because we're always being discipled. We're always growing. We're always developing. But I think it's important that we grow together, that we're taking steps. You know, we say it all the time. Hey, take your next step in faith, whatever that is. And for some of you, you need to take some next steps. Step number one for us is, it happens on the first uh, weekend of every month. It's called DNA. It's all about church ownership. Uh, because we don't have membership here. Members have benefits. Owners have responsibilities. I think if you're going to be a part of a house, you should probably know the rules of that house, what that house believes, why they believe those things. Some of you are like, I love this church. You have no idea what we believe. You're crazy. You wouldn't do that with your financial future. You wouldn't go, hey, here's all of my money invested. You're investing in your eternal future here, and, and you've never done any research? Crazy. I'm for real. Like, we take eternity so lightly, but as an investor, you want to know everything about that investment firm, don't you? You want to know how they've done in the past, how they've had uh, returns, what their process has been. Some of y'all need to take step one and find out a little bit about Coastal Community Church and who is that crazy good-looking bald guy up there and why do they keep doing crazy? We don't really have a part on that, but we can put that in there for you. Anyways, then step two is, is the second weekend of every month, and it's a class called Discover. It's all about you discovering your personality traits, your spiritual gifts, and helping you start to discover your passions in life because we want you to discover how God uniquely created you, and we want to help you do that. It's, it's, it's actually the funnest class because all the answers are based on you. Like, if you don't like the answers at the end of the day, take that up with God because that's how he made you. Like, that's not our fault. That's, that's like, you got to embrace that because that's how he's uniquely created you. Then step three, which is actually happening this weekend, is, is Dream Team. We, we want to help you start to utilize those gifts and talents and see how they play out in life. Like, am I actually gifted at that? Let me go put it into practice. And you might find out that, man, I'm really gifted at that. And then sometimes you might find out that was just a really good idea and I'm actually really bad at that. And then step four happens on the fourth weekend of every month, and it's do life together because we believe that the greatest life change you're going to have is never going to happen in a weekend service. This is a one-sided conversation, unless my mom's talking back at me. Uh, it's a one-sided conversation. I talk, you listen, which is great for me. It feels good for my ego. 
But your greatest life change is going to happen in the context of community. It's going to happen when you're doing life with other people and you're rubbing yourself shoulder to shoulder with somebody else, encouraging, building up, uh, sharpening one another. And so we talk about the importance of community. In fact, you'll hear me say this. I would rather you be in a connect group. If you've never heard me say, get in a connect group, get in a connect group, get in a connect group. I believe with all my heart, I'd rather you be in a connect group than come to church. I'm one of the few pastors in America that will say that. Why? Because that's the greatest thing for your spiritual growth. See, we don't use people to get ministry done. We use ministry to get people done here. We're about you developing your gift and discovering your gift. And then number three, we're about you using the gift that God has put within you. That you would start and begin to live out your purpose in life. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given gifts to each of you. Each and every one of you has got gifts from his variety of spiritual gifts. He says, manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. And I believe that when we actually manage the gifts that God has given us well, it is the greatest act of worship to God. Because the greatest worship you can give to God is saying, God, you have gifted me with something, and I'm going to worship you by making a difference in other people's lives. I'm going to realize that everything you have given me is not so that I can be a reservoir and contain all of it, but so that I can be a funnel and allow it to flow through me to impact other people. That's why Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him. In fact, I've, I've learned this one thing, and it's, it's this, is you have a unique gift but it's wrapped up in this one statement. And I learned this a little over 20 years ago, and it changed everything about my life. Because when I discovered it, it changed the trajectory of my life. And I don't care if you're in ministry or if you're in a boardroom or you're, you're a stay-at-home mom or a teacher at school. It applies to every single one of us. My purpose is to serve God by serving others. You want to know what your purpose is? Deep down at the core of everything, your purpose is to serve God by serving others. By using the gifts and the uniqueness that he's put within you to make an impact in other people's lives. Now as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about so many people's stories that have have recognized and realized this, and it just happened to be that, that one of those guys happened to be standing up here today. There was a guy that was playing bass that was, he was kind of standing in this area. He doesn't really stand. He kind of headbangs. Anybody see him earlier? Like, just going crazy up here. Just, like, he actually gives me a headache with his head moving so much. Like, I'm like, that's got to hurt your brain. And, uh, but I remember his, his, we call him Bones. His name is Josh. I remember when Bones walked into our offices right before we were getting ready to start the church a little over 10 years ago. And when Bones walked in, he was hurting. He'd been rejected by a lot of people in life because he, he's unique. He's, he's got a unique personality. He's got a unique sense of humor. Um, some people would call it different. You know, it's whatever, however you want to describe it. And Bones had been so hurt in life by people that his natural reaction to everything was to hurt people. Why? Because it was a storm of self-preservation. Like, I've been hurt by so many people. I'm going to hurt you before you get a chance to hurt me. 
It's my protection. I remember we, walked, we saw this young 20-something, and, and we could see the hurt in his life, but we could also see the, see the potential in his life. And I remember just every time he would just try to cut you open with words or things and stuff, we just loved him more. We'd be like, man, we believe in you. We love you, man. I know you left in, a, in anger or whatever, but, man, I, I got your back. I love you. And over the years, we, we came to find out that when he walked into those offices, he was planning to kill himself in the future. Because he had been hurt so bad in life, but over time, he began to discover that there was a place where he could utilize the uniqueness of how God created him. That God could use him in some pretty incredible ways. And he, he started in our church playing the bass like he was today. Most of the days, most Sundays and most weekends, he's not up here playing bass. Because about halfway through our journey here of Coastal, he started to discover that God's got so much more for his life than to just play music. That God has uniquely gifted him with a passion for the next generation. And a way of communicating to them that actually connects with them at a level. Because he's experienced so much hurt, he doesn't want them to experience hurt. He wants them to experience the hope of Christ. And so... Most weekends, he's actually back in our second and fifth grade room teaching the next generation about how God loves them. He can deliver them. and He's got a purpose and plan for their life. And he's embraced that my purpose is to serve God, is to know my God who has set me free and to serve other people by seeing them transformed at a young age. See, your design determines your destiny because the designer created you on a purpose and for a purpose. And some of us today, I believe that God is, is taking us to this moment where it's a Madison Avenue moment so that we can recognize that we aren't called to be in the dry cleaning business, but we're called to write things like hat in the hat in life because God has got so much more for us. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? God, I thank you that, God, you have given us all gifts. You've given us all talents. You've given us all uniqueness to our lives. But so many of us have found ourselves in a rut. we found ourselves in a pit. We're just going through the cycle of life, repeating the same thing over and over again and wondering why nothing is changing. God, I know that today there are some people that need some deliverance in their life. There, there are some people that need some salvation. But more than what anything they need is they need a redemptive power to take place in their life, to turn their situation all the way around, to do a 180 in their life and see there is so much more to who they are than what people have said and what people have thought. But God, what you say and what you think. And God, I pray that right now you would start to speak to people's hearts. You start to speak to their minds. You start to speak to their identity and tell them who they really are, not what other people have said about them. But I also know that there are some people that are here today. That they've never discovered that there is a God that loves them so much that he would give the greatest sacrifice, his son, so that they could have a new life. So they could be lifted out of their pit and experience salvation like never before. And maybe you're here today and you need to experience that. Maybe you experienced that a long time ago and you walked away and you found yourself back in a pit. Today, I believe that God wants to be a deliverer all over again for your life. And maybe today you need to begin a relationship with Jesus here today. And if that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just slip your hand up at the count of three, we'd love to pray for you. One, two, three. Go ahead and slip it up. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Ma'am. Yes, sir. 